A very good morning to you. Lovely to see you. Grab your coffee, your seat, your donut. If you're new here or you're visiting, you are very, very welcome. My name's Neil. I'm married to the wonderful Kate. We, uh, we lead this church together, which is a huge privilege and honor. Today is Palm Sunday. Today is Palm Sunday and beginning of Holy Week, we turn our attention, we turn our hearts, we turn our mind, minds towards the events of Holy Week and the passion of Jesus. The writer of Hebrews writes this in chapter 3 and says this, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, consider Jesus, who is the centerpiece of everything we believe, faithful in everything God gave him to do. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, consider Jesus, who is the centerpiece of everything we believe, faithful in everything God gave gave him to do. And so, over our Easter services, and as Mike said, we'll be uh, meeting here at 10.30 on um, Good Friday, and then again on Easter Sunday for a baptism service. Really, we want to be this week, particularly and especially, considering Jesus, to consider the one who stands at the very center, to consider Jesus, the one who lies at the very heart of everything that it is that we have been called to. And uh, as we begin this journey towards Easter, which uh, begins for us this uh, Palm Sunday, I wanted to read a passage from the book of Isaiah, actually. I'm not sure if Kim's here, I'm not sure if this is the actually the passage that she was referring to, but it sounds quite familiar. This is uh, Isaiah, uh, Isaiah chapter 35. Just says this, just to, um, again, just allow the word of God, we did this last week, but just allow the word of God to speak to you. Just allow the word of God, the scriptures, living and active, allow it to minister to you just as I read it. And, um, and I think just even as we read the scripture, I think the spirit of God is going to, or he's, the spirit of God is already here, he's already moving going to minister there are some people here who are sick or in need of healing and just even as we read the scriptures the spirit of god is going to minister to you and minister healing we'd love to pray for you later but um this is isaiah chapter 35 says this the desert and the parched land will be glad the wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus it will burst into bloom it will rejoice greatly and shout for joy the glory of lebanon will be given to it The splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord. The splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the needs that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts. Be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance. With divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert the burning sand will become a pool the thirsty ground bubbling springs in the haunts where jackals once lay grass and reeds and papyrus will grow and a highway will be there it will be called the way of holiness it will be for those who walk on that way, the unclean will not journey on it. 
Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there, and those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Father, we thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living and active. We thank you that just through the scriptures we can be transformed. We thank you for your presence here. We ask that you would increase your presence, that you would have your way with us this morning, that your name would be glorified, that you would speak to us through the scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. These um, those amazing words from Isaiah, they're a prophecy and they were written like 800 years before the coming of Jesus. And they were written about the coming of Jesus. They were concerning the coming of the king. And when you read through the Old Testament, the Old Testament, the scriptures are full of these kinds of prophecies. These signposts that are pointing towards a future age. They're pointing towards an age that will come when the old order of things will pass away. And the rule and the reign... And the rule and the reign of the kingdom of God will finally be established forever. And for the Jewish people, you know, they would read these words and uh, they would hope and they would pray and they would long for a time when things would reach their fulfillment. A time when the desert and the parched land would be glad, when the wilderness would rejoice and blossom, a time when the eyes of the blind would be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped a time when the lame would leap like a deer when the mute would shout for joy you see through centuries of um, oppression and uh, captivity here was a people who knew that their god would come they knew that he would come with vengeance they knew that he would come with divine Retribution. They knew that he would come to save. We find another one of these prophecies in Zechariah chapter 9. Just another one of those words concerning the coming of the king and the fulfillment of the age. It says this in Zechariah chapter 9. Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey. It goes on into verse 17. It says, The Lord their God will save their people on that day as a shepherd saves his flock. So you've kind of got all of that as the background. And then you fast forward onto first century Jerusalem. If you've got a Bible, turn me to Matthew chapter 21. It says this in Matthew chapter 21, verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives... Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey. And on a colt, the foal of a donkey. 
The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? And the crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Galilee, Nazareth in Galilee. So in verse, uh, verses 1 to 3, it says this. It says, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you'll find a donkey uh, who's there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will give them right away. So here you've got, you've got Jesus. Just picture this scene. You've got Jesus and the disciples. They're on their way to Jerusalem. They're going to celebrate the, the feast of the Passover. And they get to just outside Jerusalem, and Jesus... Uh, picks two of his disciples and says to them, uh, chaps, could you just like head off there and go and fetch me a donkey? And imagine you're one of these disciples. It's a, it's a fairly random request. And you're perhaps a little bit like, okay, Jesus, you want me to walk into some random village and effectively steal a donkey and that's all going to be okay? Like, it doesn't seem very Christian to me personally. Um, What I love about this story is the way that the disciples respond. Have a look at verse 6. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. And it's a fantastic response. Uh, And I think the truth is by now that the disciples have been around Jesus for long enough to know actually not to second guess him. You know, was it random? Of course it was. A lot of Jesus' requests, a lot of Jesus' instructions are pretty Random. Was it strange? Yes, absolutely. This is not a normal thing to ask someone to do. What was their response? Their response was fantastic. It didn't matter how random or strange it was. They knew that their response could only be, I better just do it. We better just do it. And so not really knowing what they were doing, having no idea what this donkey was for, these guys did just what Jesus asked. Because the unexpected king comes to those who are responsive to him. The unexpected king comes to those who hear his voice, to those who follow his leading, to those who say, you know, I've got no real idea what it is he's asking me to do, but whatever it is, I'll, I'll do it. I'll give it a shot. You look at it, you see it throughout the New Testament. You see it in stories like with Peter in Luke chapter 5. You know, Peter, they've been out fishing. They've been fishing all night. They haven't caught a thing. And then Jesus says, oh, you know, let down your nets one more time. And Peter's like, seriously? Like, do you know how tired I am? We've been working hard all night. And then he says, but because you say so, I will. They let down the nets, and they catch this huge amount of fish. Because the unexpected king and the kingdom comes to those of us who are responsive to him. There's this particular way of the unexpected king. Have a look at verses um, 4 and 5. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. There's something really, really particular about the way that Jesus does everything. But there's like something really particular about the way that Jesus decides 
to enter into Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday. You know, on the one hand, yes, he comes in as a king, but everything about the way he's doing it, it's completely and utterly unexpected. You know, he's not some conquering uh, hero riding in on his war horse. Uh, the way Jesus, the messianic king, comes into Jerusalem is, is, is gentle. It's like, what's he doing now? Verse 5, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey. And this word um, gentle, it actually is more like humble. It's more like meek. And it's actually rooted in this idea of um, affliction and oppression. It's often used throughout the scriptures. It's often used to describe the poor. It's often used to describe someone who's actually been reduced to begging. And Jesus comes to Jerusalem, not as this great general, not as this conquering hero, but he comes as the king kind of who's afflicted. Clearly a king, but a king who so identifies with our pain. He, he, he so connects with our afflictions and our needs that he himself chooses to come in humility. He comes as a humble king. He comes as the afflicted king. He comes almost as the beggar king, the servant king. And in and through all of this, all of this is just a picture. It's like a, um, a metaphor for the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God comes um, not from a position of power, not from a position of authority. The kingdom comes through um, gentleness. The kingdom comes through humility. Um, the kingdom of God comes, uh, like the other day I was out having um, lunch with James uh, at the back there. And the kingdom of God came when James decided to pray for and prophesy over the guy who's um, serving us lunch. And it was in this kind of quiet and unobtrusive little way that the kingdom of God came. The rule and the reign of the kingdom broke through. It happened uh, last week. Again, I mean, uh, I do more than eat out with people, but... Um, I was having breakfast with Charlie. Uh, we'd gone to Hayes. We'd gone to a women's rescue, uh, a women's refuge in um, in Hayes, with Hestia, um, and uh, this place is in need of a lick of paint. And Charlie's organising a kind of painting project and a decorating project to support these women there. And we were having, we'd gone and had breakfast because we were a little bit early. And um, as we were leaving, Charlie said, "I feel like I'm supposed to pray blessing over the this guy and his business." And so. So okay, so he gets up and he just says to the guy, you know, can we pray for you? Can we? I just feel like God wants us to bless your business. He prayed, blessed this guy's business. It was really fascinating. Like, like after he finished, the guy said um, he'd only been in business for about a year, and he said, it's "So weird." He said, "You're the fourth bunch of people who've come in here and said there's something about this business we want to bless and pray for your business." Right. Okay. He said the first one was like a spiritualist guy, and he came in with crystals and stuff. I right? was like, okay, okay, okay. It was amazing. It's like that's how the kingdom comes. It's really, really random. You know, you just need to eat it out more. You know, the kingdom of God comes every single week. 
The kingdom of God comes at food bank. You know, you guys are going to be off again serving at the food bank today, you know, and again on a Wednesday. And the kingdom of God comes as you um, give food out to someone and meet their physical need. And at the same time, you kind of give food to them and then you lay hands on them and pray for them and invite God and the Spirit of God to come and meet their spiritual needs. The kingdom of God comes every Tuesday at Job Club as you sit down with people and you um, speak of the incredible sort of um, uh, uh, value and gifting of these individuals. And at the same time, you lay hands on them and invite God to come and do a miracle in their lives. That's how the kingdom of God comes, time in, time out. But it comes humbly and gently. You look at so many of Jesus' parables about the kingdom. They focus on the hidden nature of the kingdom. So the kingdom of God is described as a, as a treasure hidden in the field. It's not obvious. You know, it doesn't come with great big advertising slogans on the side of a bus. The kingdom of God comes through a baby born in a stable. The kingdom of God comes through a king riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. The kingdom of God comes through Jesus being crucified on a cross. It's the particular way of the unexpected king. What of the purpose of this unexpected king? Have a look at verses 6 and 9. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They bought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. This large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna! I don't know how we didn't get a Hosanna song this morning. Seriously. I mean, I want my money back. We'll start Good Friday with a Hosanna song, okay? Because we want to make up for the fact. It's the only day of the year you can go, Hosanna. We'd missed it. I'm going to wait a whole year. Anyway, they're like, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. There are songs about that right now. <laughs> Not that we sang them. <clears throat> anyway, <laughs> so, it's because James forgot it was Palm Sunday, I bet. That's why it was. <laughs> Easter. Anyway, so the disciples, they come back with this donkey, and that's when it all, like, all happens, it all kicks off. You know, Jerusalem's going crazy, people put their coats on the back of the donkey, and Jesus gets on the donkey, and, and you know, when he gets on the donkey, everyone goes wild, there's this huge crowd that's gathered, and everyone starts shouting, and they're dancing, and they're singing, and you know, some people are like throwing their cloaks off in front of the donkey, and other people are like hacking the trees down and throwing the palm branches around. They're waving them in the air like they just don't care, you know, like it's 1999. And, and all of this random scene, I mean, what a picture of the scene. And, and it's like at this moment, everything starts to fall into place. This is the moment when it all kind of clicks. It's like, ah. The unexpected king has arrived. Jesus has finally arrived. Like Jesus has shown up. And that's what this procession is all about. Jesus has arrived. And we look at it and say, it all sounds a bit strange. Because, you know, you kind of think, well, Jesus has shown up before. But if you think back over the Gospels, up until this point, like everything had been kept under wraps. The disciples would get really excited because Jesus would do something, you know, maybe it was a miracle. He told some like, incredible story that nobody understood, but they all thought was amazing. You know, something he said, something he did, and they'd all get excited and, oh, this is amazing. And then Jesus would be like, no, 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 shh, 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 not, not now, not, not now, just keep, keep it quiet, calm down, it's all right. Now, now's not the right time. My time hasn't come yet. The disciples would come up with some hairbrain scheme, you know, hey Jesus, let's do that, or why, why don't we do that? And Jesus would be like, no, not now. That's not what the Father's got. Today is different. 
Today, Jesus lets everyone know. He lets everyone sing and dance and shout and butcher the trees and throw away their cloaks. I don't know how they got their cloaks back. Um, and they allow, he allowed them to treat him like the Messiah they'd all been waiting for. Jesus had finally shown up. The long-awaited Messiah was here. Today was the day that King Jesus came to town. And everything, for every man, woman, child, for every generation on the face of the earth, was about to change forever. The story closes in Matthew chapter 21, verses 10 to 11. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? And the crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And there's a sort of dramatic irony around this whole scene as it unfolds. Um, you know, who would have thought that the celebration and the festivities that mark the beginning of Holy Week would reach the darkness and the depths of Christ's death on a cross on Good Friday before his resurrection, his glorious resurrection on Easter Sunday. And right now you've got this huge expectation that's being laid at Jesus' feet. It's being thrown at his feet in the form of cloaks and palm fronds and cheering and dancing and singing and shouting. But... Um, was Jesus the person the crowd were actually expecting? There's no doubt that the people were filled with expectation. The Messiah's coming, the Messiah's coming. He's going to fulfill everything that Passover stands for. Just about to celebrate the feast of Passover. The Messiah's coming. He's going to give us freedom from oppression. Hurrah! God's finally going to intervene. God's finally going to throw out and kick out all of our enemies, like he did with the Egyptians, they're all going to get like, drowned in the sea. It's going to be amazing. And yet, in another, yet another twist of the, this upside-down nature of this kingdom of God, while the crowds are waiting for someone who would turn, uh, who, who who would rule in, in in strength and might, Jesus comes in as this humble servant. While the crowds were wanting him to finally bring their people glory, Jesus comes along to change their hearts so that their lives can bring God glory. While the people are looking for a general who's going to crush and smite their enemies, Jesus comes along saying, love your enemies. While they thought that he would offer them deliverance from their oppressors, Jesus comes along offering them deliverance from their sin. And this very same crowd that are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Lord, save us, save us, save us. This very same crowd would very soon realize that Jesus wasn't going to be quite what they expected. And before they ever realized that he was exactly what they needed, that he was exactly everything and more that they ever needed, they, they turn on him. And what is it that they get? A few days later, Jesus is arrested. He's humiliated. He's beaten by the Romans. This one they called the son of David, their last best hope. Rome decides to make an example of him and crushes him under their feet. So just a few days later, in just a few days' time, Jesus is stripped, 
he's beaten, he's crucified. And what you see in this story is, um, I think, is the difference of expectation. It's a story about expectations. It's about the difference in the expectation of kind of our ways and the things that we want, the things that we think we want, and God's ways. The expectation of, you know, what we ask God for and the way in which God actually delivers that. Because in this story, there's a paradigm, there's a model um, for many of us, for all of us as followers of Jesus. You know, we pray, save us, Lord, save us, do this particular thing. I've got it all planned out. Just follow my instructions and we'll all be fine. You know, and we sort of fill in the blanks for your own life at the moment. You know, it's like find me a spouse or heal this one's, you know, my loved one's uh, medical condition or help me get a better job or lead me to the house of my dreams or whatever it is. And so often what happens, uh, very often what happens is the opposite. And so we've been praying for a spouse and it's like I'm still single. You know, we pray for a loved one and they sort of seem to get worse. Or we ask for a better job and um, all we seem to be getting is like rejection letter after rejection letter after rejection letter. We, we find the perfect house and then the sale falls through or whatever it is. But you see, this isn't the end of the story because God always hears our prayers. And God always answers the prayer, save us, O oh God. Lord, save us. But... He does it in a way that for this crowd of people gathered on that first Palm Sunday, for us as a crowd of people gathered 2,000 years later, he does it actually in a way that goes way beyond anything that we could even think or imagine or dream of. God has something so much better in mind, so much better, so much greater than saving a, a, this first century country from its particular national enemy of the time. God's intention and God's plan in this moment is to save the entire world, rescue all of humanity from what ultimately oppresses us. And what ultimately oppresses us isn't actually some government. What ultimately oppresses us is not the unsatisfactory nature of our lives. It's not the root of the problem. What ultimately oppresses us um, is sin. It's our sin, and it's the sin of other people towards us. It's because of sin, which makes us all feel slightly uncomfortable. It's because of sin that we experience alienation, separation from God. It's because of sin that we experience broken relationships one with another. It's because of sin that we've experienced broken relationships with the world in which we find ourselves. It's because of our sin that we have broken relationships with ourselves. It's because of sin that we find ourselves, you know, addicted and in bondage to things, to the power of things that we just can't overcome. And God sent Jesus into the world to answer the prayer from Palm Sunday, which is save us. God answered that prayer in a way that was utterly unexpected by us all. It's so unexpected that there are so many people out there still to this day who still can't see it. They still don't get it. 
In Ephesians 3, Paul writes this. He says, God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Yeah, it may be that you're in a situation right now where you've been praying and praying and praying and you feel like you're getting the exact opposite of everything that you've asked God for. As we consider Jesus this Easter, as we turn our attention towards the cross, as we turn our attention towards the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I'd like us to consider that God may be wanting to grant you something that is immeasurably better than anything that you could even ask or imagine. The people who are crying out, you know, save us. They couldn't imagine that this Jesus truly was going to save them in a way that went so far beyond everything and anything that they could even imagine or ask for. It was so much bigger than the biggest of their brain. God is good. God is good and his purposes and his plans for us and for our lives is good. And whether and whenever wherever we're in a situation when we say, you know, God doesn't seem to be doing anything. You know, uh, I wonder if God cares. I don't, it doesn't feel like God is like, actually very good. You know, I seem to be experiencing the exact opposite of everything I've been praying for. Let's just take a moment to kind of reflect on the truth about who God is. And you can find all about that in here, which is why knowing this is so incredibly important. Because this is the story of God's goodness and his greatness, his love for us. So let's take a moment to take pause and reflect on the true nature of who God is. And then let's look for ways uh, to see where God is at work, but perhaps just in a different way to the one and the route that we imagined. Okay? So our challenge this week for Holy Week is to be looking for the unexpected king. Let's look this week for the unexpected king. Let's look for the unexpected kingdom. And let's see what God wants to do.